17 tonight. Exodus 17. You okay, Miss Joy? Good. All right. And it's so good to have some of you with us to fellowship at the Lord's table. Thankful for your attendance here tonight. Really, the Lord's Supper is so important because the tangible way that we demonstrate who we are as a church is not by a membership list that's printed on a piece of paper. The way that the Bible teaches us to show who is part of this body is by our observance of the Lord's Supper tonight. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by even uh, Robert's message and the beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper that's there. And I want to show you one more here in Exodus chapter number 17. And I want us to read the first seven verses together here. This story as the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, led by God. Exodus 17, verse number one. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel in thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. And behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the, ch- the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's quite a question, isn't it? Is the Lord among us or not? I don't know about you, but in distressful moments of my life, I've, I've asked that question. God, are you here or are you not? In seasons of little success or emotional hardship or tragedy. But when you come right down to it, the people who asked that question in verse number seven had very little right to be asking that question. Because if you look at the passage that's going on before us, you have a bunch of people who they themselves deserve to be questioned by God. But in Exodus 17, they've set themselves up as judges and they are questioning God himself. That's what it means when Moses says, you're tempting the Lord God. You're putting God on trial. If you just understand briefly the context of this passage, you're gonna find out that they have even less excuses because God has proven himself time and again. We're in Exodus 17, but it's just two chapters earlier in Exodus 15 that they were delivered across the Red Sea. In fact, the very next chapter is them singing praises to God. There's an entire song written in the book of Exodus. And then they get thirsty. No, 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 I'm not talking about Exodus 17 thirsty. I think it's Exodus 16 or 15 thirsty. It happened again before. 
So they get thirsty, and what happens? God brings them to a well of bitter water, and God miraculously transforms that bitter water and makes it sweet and gives the people drink. And not long after, they get hungry. So they start complaining again. And they're not just complaining to Moses, they're complaining to God, and they're accusing God the same way they do in this passage. And what does God do? By his grace, he gives them meat and bread, quail and manna. And now here they are again, thirsty. It's as if they've forgotten, Judson, the past things God has done for them in providing bread. But do they remember what God has done? Nope, nope, they complain again. And more than complaining, they're enraged. In fact, if you read between the lines of the passage, Moses is afraid they're going to kill him. They've put Moses on trial. And so they decide that they're gonna have a tribunal because they think Moses is such a bad leader because they are accusing him time and time again, bringing them and their children and their cattle to the brink of death. Hell hath no fury like an angry mama or an angry cow mama, I guess. And Moses is taking all the heat because the reality is they could stone Moses and kill him, but they couldn't throw rocks at the God they were angry at. So what does God do? He sets up a trial. I want you to notice there's certain details in the passage that tell us that God is getting Israel ready for like a courtroom trial. Look at verse number five. He tells Moses to take the elders of Israel and march them in front of the people. Who are these elders? Well, in a couple chapters later, we're gonna find out that these elders were the people who had a judicial function. They made decisions on behalf of Moses in these different squabbles that would rise up. They were the jury, so to speak. So God says, get the jury ready. And then he tells Moses in verse number five to take the rod. Now, the rod, when you think of it, probably is very positive, right? Right? It's that rod that hit the Red Sea and split it in two. But you gotta remember, if you were Pharaoh, the rod was not a good deal. The rod was a rod of judgment because when Moses brought that rod into the room with Pharaoh and with other sinners, it was a sign that God was the one who had authority. It was a rod of judgment. And God says, get the rod of judgment ready. But then God does something very surprising. Rather than judging the people for their sins, he judges himself. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. It's not as though Moses was just supposed to strike a rock and it would open up this spring. But there's a very important detail in verse number six that before Moses hits the rock, the, the, hitting the rock was a sign of something bigger. Look at verse six. God says to Moses, where would God be in this moment? He says, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. So God is standing in front of the rock and Moses is supposed to hit that rock with the rod. Are you filling in the blanks here? God is doing this as a picture that Moses is supposed to strike who with the rod of judgment? He's supposed to strike God himself. Here the people are, they set up a tribunal to judge God because he hasn't taken care of him. And really what they deserve is they deserve to be judged. They deserve to be struck down. They deserve to be wiped out. And instead of judging their sins and placing their sins upon the people, God says, rather than bringing judgment on you, I'm gonna stand on the rock and you judge me. And what happens? 
when they strike the rock, water flows forth and provides for all of the people's needs. God is telling Moses that the judgment for the people's sins would fall on God himself. And it's no wonder that Paul, when he thinks of this story in 1 Corinthians 10, he says this, and they did all drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This rock at Horeb is an early picture of our Savior being punished for our sins. And in this passage, God's sacrifice does three things for his people. Number one, it deals with their sins. The death that the people deserve for their sins, God carried out not upon them, but he struck himself. And it is the blood of Christ that demonstrates that for us. It was Christ's blood that flowed and was a reminder of the judgment for sins that normally would cause an animal to be sacrificed. And really all of that was because we deserve to be the sacrifice. We deserve the death. Number two, God's sacrifice met their needs. Verse number six, the water flowed out and it quenched their thirst. What's interesting is when Paul quotes this, he says that they drank of that spiritual rock and that spiritual rock followed them. See, you and I think that Moses just gave them water at this one time, but Paul seems to give us the impression that by some miracle, this same rock would follow them throughout their wilderness journeys. And every time they needed water, once again, they would strike the rock that this rock would be their continual source of provision. It was a spring of life. We could say it was living water. And just as that rock met their needs every day of the wilderness, our rock, Jesus Christ, is the one who meets our needs as we travel the wilderness of life. And as we observe the supper tonight, we use very common elements, common like water, Christ is our bread. He's wine. That was the, what they drank on in those days to symbolize that Christ is the one that daily meets our needs. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is the sacrifice of Christ that meets our needs. Friend, whatever your soul is craving for tonight, you don't need what you're craving for as much as you need Christ. Feast on him tonight through the supper. Then third, this sacrifice proved God's presence with the people. The whole incident, and Moses waits to write the whole question on the people's minds to the very end, almost to emphasize it. This whole incident, look at the end of verse number seven, it was in response to one question. Is the Lord among us or not? And that's a question we share too on our wilderness journey. But let us remember that our rock, Jesus Christ, was not just present at the moment of his incarnation. He sustains us at every point. He is the reminder of God's presence, most notably through the giving of the Holy Spirit. The observance of the Lord's Supper gives witness to this very fact. 
Because we do not partake of the supper just with our fellow church family. As I've made the case to you multiple times, church, we are dining in the presence of Christ. And it's his presence that is real in the supper that we take tonight. So the question is, is the Lord with us or is he not? Well, Christ says, if you've tasted of the living waters, then you should never thirst again. And my desire is that as we take of the Lord's Supper tonight, this will be something that helps us remember that Christ is with us. No wonder he is called Emmanuel, God with us. At this time, I want our deacons to get